we can gush about it and just totally cuck Josh in the corner then. That's a good thing. Radio Drone. It's a very 1970s edition of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the one, the only, although there are many copies of him, the Cecil. How are there copies uh, of Cecil? Yeah. Because he's a like, robot. What? We we just we we clone him and it's it's a different Cecil that shows up on the show every single week. Haven't you guys noticed? Oh god, I would get so much more work done if I had like multiples of me. And I yeah, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to leave the multiple me here and I'm going to go on vacation. That would be awesome. That's Good totally Lord. fair. Or it's like or is it like multiplicity where the copy of a copy and they get more and more stupid? <laughs> As you can hear, Peter is laughing like a monkey in the background. As always, Monkey Man, Rape Ape, George Eastman, Big Ape, You Can Make Baby, Here in the Flesh, <laughs> In the Flesh, Baby, Underlips, The Ultimate Male with the Ultimate Meatballs. Speaking of meatballs and <laughs> flesh, if you guys want to help out the show or get a little something for yourself, you go to adamandeve.com. You use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, just for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you're going to be looking for some of the movies we discussed tonight, you might need a VPN. That's where Nord comes in. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash DROME. Chrome VPN, and you'll that'll redirect you to Nord's site with our code. You'll be able to get Nord for only three dollars and seventy nine cents a month. That's seventy five percent off of a three year plan to have Nord encode your data, protect your data, allow you to jump around to pretend you're somewhere else to get through region locked content. Maybe hide yourself if you're going to torrent some of these things. Although we're not supposed to talk about that aspect, but you go to twelve oh one beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. Okay, the Criterion Channel, which is not the same as the Criterion Collection, although it pulls off the same IPs it's the and new, stuff. It's uh, their new streaming service, right? Yes, it's their new streaming okay. service, and they've been around for a little while, and it's not like a Netflix or a Hulu. It's every month, it's a curated service. Oh, okay. So they, they have a theme. Like in February, it's Black History theme, so it's lots of Black-centric films. Well, we're just finishing January right now, and the theme was 70s sci-fi. Criterion hasn't paid for this or anything. In fact, I tried to work with them on this. I contacted them two months in advance of this episode to try and work out something, maybe, you know, a cross-promotion deal or something. Nobody would get back to me, and I've heard Criterion is incredibly difficult. Even industry professionals can't get a response from Criterion. They are notorious for not returning messages. I want to say straight up, Criterion has nothing to do with this episode, but I looked at their 70s sci-fi month, 
God damn, that is a good selection of mostly pre-Star Wars 70s sci-fi. The films we're going to talk about tonight are what they had on their service, and that is A Boy and His Dog, A Clockwork Orange, Dark Star, Death Race 2000, Demon Seed, God Told Me To, Logan's Run, Mad Max, No Blade of Grass, The Omega Man, Rollerball, Shivers, Soylent Green, The Terminal Man, THX 1138, The Ultimate Warrior, Westworld, and ZPG. So basically, some of the best science fiction films ever. If they had added Phase 4 to that list, this might be (laughs) an ultimate pre-Star Wars 70s sci-fi list. I mean, you tell me that... Absolutely. That is a fantastic lineup for a curated channel. God damn it, that's a good list. That's a hell of a list. When you had mentioned it, first I thought it was going to be a little bit more... A little bit more of like the pop... No, a little bit more of like the... the, What you expect a little um more of like the popular mainstreamish stuff and so you know hearing uh, no blade of grass and zpg and that kind of stuff really was like wow are you kidding me they they dug deep on this and managed to curate an incredible list we're not gonna spend a ton of time on some of them because some of them while while they are quality films there's not a lot we need to say i have seen everything on this list some not for decades but let's just start at the beginning alphabetic a boy and his dog. Can you get more batshit insane than a boy and his dog? A movie I'm surprised got made in the 70s, let alone you could not make this movie today. The opening 10 to 5 minutes are like a woman getting raped and then they go to like check on her and Don Johnson is like, man, she could have been used like at least a couple more times. And that's one of Harlan Ellison's lines, because... Yes, that's in the book. That is actually, like, in the novel. And it's so... That is such a great, bleak, completely cynical... Honestly, I would say one of the most perfect post-apocalyptic stories because it really does sum up what life in that sort of world would be. Like, morals would absolutely take a backseat. It would be all about how often you could procreate, how often you could eat and drink or whatever you can get your hands on. It would become a very nihilistic lifestyle. And I think a boy and his dog, even if there's, like, you know, the, the silliness of a telepathic dog talking with a guy and the weird, like, 50-centric underground or whatever. That is a perfect science fiction story, science fiction post-apocalyptic story that really does sum up how bleak that kind of a future could really be and how there is just no... In reality, there really would be no hope if if something like that would happen. It would just become like you're just you're surviving. You're just you're getting what you can get and your morals take the back seat. And I feel like a boy and his dog sums that up so just so absolutely amazingly. Like I both love the book and I love the movie. Like they're both just excellent. I actually think that the most amazing part of the movie is how every decade it's reassessed differently. When it was made in the 70s, it was considered misogynistic. And 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 mean spirited. Then in the eighties, remember. There's no edits made to the movie. I mean, okay, technically in the 1980 re-release, he added the mushroom cloud footage at the very beginning, but that yeah. doesn't change the story at all. So there's no edits to the story whatsoever. And, and then in the 80s, it's considered a pro-feminist film because of what Quilla June does and how she stands up. And then in the 90s, it's misogynistic sorry, how again. The fuck, how the hell is it a pro-feminist film? <laughs> 
think be, I think I'm because sorry, of the I have to laugh about that. How anybody? I mean, sure, you know, pro feminism is fine. Feminism is a good thing. It's a great thing. But it's like God, like blood and and Johnson eat the woman at the end of the film. How, how is it pro feminism exactly? Like I think it's because about how Quilla June just keeps basically using what's between her legs to manipulate jo- Don Johnson throughout the entirety of the movie. But does she really? Because at the end he chooses a dog over her so it's like how much of this movie did you really see dog is man's best friend that is right ellison doesn't like the changed final line but i love the last final line it's so just it's the perfect encapsulation of the entire film it's it might also be the most mean-spirited thing you'll ever hear in a movie too and the thing is it, like it yeah. sure in the in the book they go into more detail of why he chose blood over the chick but it's like in the movie it it is as Cecil said. It's such a perfectly like mean spirited, awesome way to end it. And and yeah, it just it works. It's a really great movie and a really great book, or a really great, I guess, technically series. Well, yeah. it was a novella. Well, he at the did. Time. Um, he did do. Didn't he do like a sequel where like they get eaten by a spider at the end or something? Like no, there was like the comic and and uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah. The best version of the book I feel like anybody can experience is Ellison's actual audiobook of it well see in the sequels vic gets poisoned by a giant spider gets separated from blood and then blood finds a a new a new hunter which is a chick and then vic ends up escaping from the spider and then they get together but now it's a in a non-sexual way a threesome because blood is now emotionally (laughs) attached to both wasn't it kind of his way it was kind of his way of saying that he didn't want, like, a sequel movie, I think. Then we've got, now, I do not like this movie. I understand why people do. I don't like A Clockwork Orange. I've never liked the movie. I have never seen the value in it. I get it if people really? do. I don't like the film. I've tried more than once to watch it and say, all right, I'm going to try to like this movie. Every time I just come out of it going, that fucking suck. I don't hey. like this film one bit, but I get why it's so important. And see, so do we, do we agree on this that like Clockwork Orange is like an amazing film? Absolutely. It's okay, probably good. one of my so most we, quoted movies. So we can we can gush about it and just totally cuck Josh in the corner then. That's a good thing. Good evening. <laughs> I was recently a uh, best man in a good friend of mine's wedding and for the best man's gift from the groom, yeah. he gave he got me a signed copy of the script and Malcolm McDowell signed it. Oh, that's awesome. Because that's like that one of our is, favorite movies. Uh, that is Vidiwell, Midrugi, Vidiwell. <laughs> My God. That... No, it's a fantastic film. I think a lot of people misinterpret it. I think a lot of people think that it glorifies violence and it glorifies rape and all this stuff, but it's like, it's this character who is in this like horrible gang and he does these awful things and he rapes people and rapes women and fucks people up and all this stuff fantastic film i think it's a a perfect nihilistic neo future film that shows a very realistic future it's not super high tech or anything it just shows the the rampant large you've got these uh teen gangs and stuff and a a lot of disassociation and things like that which is really um i think a lot more relevant than a lot of other futuristic type stories are i think it's great i think malcolm mcdowell does a phenomenal job at playing alex in in the film and I think he really captures what the spirit of the character was in the book. I really think it's a great film. 
film. It's a challenging film. I think to watch it, I feel like takes a lot of guts because there's a lot of real messed up stuff that happens in it. But I feel like the actual narrative is well worth it. And I do not, I obviously do not, do not agree with Josh. Obviously neither does Cecil. I think Clockwork Orange is just awesome. I think it's, I think it's a great, awesome film and just totally worthy of the, of the Criterion collection. It's a brilliant movie. And uh, it's something that I watch. Uh, it's a little long, but I'm, I'm not saying that uh, what I mean is that it's not something that I could sit down and watch all the time simply because it's, you know, what, two hours, 20 minutes. Yeah. So, but it's like an every is... every now and then kind of movie, like every every I would call it an every couple of years movie. Yeah. And see, I just don't. And that's fine. Really? I, I want to know why, because it, it seems to me like a movie you would like. And for some reason, you don't. I think it's pompous. I think it's full of itself. Without, have, without having the backing for it. No, I haven't read the the novel. You I don't. I, I don't know what Anthony. Br- I'm. I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna chalk it down to this. I don't think you like Kubrick very much. I don't like Kubrick very much, but I do well, like I some of his that films. Explains it honestly. Honestly, just say that you don't like Kubrick as a director, so you don't like the movie because you don't really like Shining. You don't like 2001. Clockwork is a very Kubrick film. Full Metal Jacket, not so much. Like you can kind of just look at that as kind of a Vietnam film not so much a Kubrick movie. I just, I don't think you just like Kubrick very much. I think that's, and and obviously Clockwork is a very Kubrick movie. And I just, I think it may be his most Kubrick-esque movie. I think you just don't like it because of that. And I think that's kind of all you need to say, really. Like, no, because I, I don't like it because I don't like it. I've tried more than once to like this movie and I and just don't like can't. It. And that's on, it then, really. On the other hand, I absolutely love 1974's Dark Star. John Carpenter's yes. first technical movie. He'd done shorts <laughs> and before original, this. And technically the original Alien. <laughs> well, no, that, that would be Planet of the Vampires or It, the well, Terror from I'll, Beyond Space. I mean, in terms, of, in terms of like Dan O'Bannon being attached to it, it would be the original Alien. Planet of the Vampires obviously is what it was, what it was inspired by and obviously like earlier DC comics and Lovecraft stories and stuff like that. But technically, the first thing Dan O'Bannon were to work on in terms of script and things like that would be Dark Star. That was kind of like the original ideas of what he wanted to do with Alien. And it was in it was in Carpenter's uh, Carpenter's Dark Star. There's a reason I said it's Carpenter's first technical feature because he had made shorts before this, and originally Dark Star was only a short. It was only a 45 minute film. And then through John Landis, who they went to film school with, John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon, the Canadian film distributor Jack Murphy ended up running through it, and he ended up showing it to Jack. Harris, who wanted to release it theatrically, but you have to have a minimum length. So Harris then gave them more money, or I should say took more money from what he was paying them because he was a freaking shyster and used that money to make their film better and padded it out to feature length. Carpenter didn't necessarily shoot all that new footage. That was more or less O'Bannon who did it. So yeah, so the film they is kind, kind of, traded, of a, uh, they, they, they traded duties back and forth. Yeah. Well, and it's also kind of a tone mess because the original 45 minutes were shot on 16 millimeter the new jack harris footage was shot on 35 millimeter so throughout the movie the film stock constantly changes and in all honesty i can't remember if it was the dvd or the blu-ray or the laser disc one of them had the original 45 minute version on it i like that version better as much as i love the movie there's a lot of padding to get this out to feature length i think it works better as a short film but dan o'bannon is hilarious as sergeant 
pin back. So many amazing special effects shots that uh, no money that these guys created. Well, like cause, Costumes cause are made out of vacuum cleaners. The, the space suits. You had O'Bannon working on it. Like You had a guy that was truly talented who grew up in like middle America and had no real access besides like mail order stuff and going to like shops where he could find science fiction-y things. Like he was a real talented guy. Like to have O'Bannon attached to really any project is going to elevate it. And I do agree with you. I think the shorter version of the film is a lot more cohesive. It's funny. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was really little and I didn't like it because I was kind it was of expected. weird. Well, I, I was, are expecting... you saying a beach ball alien is not your kind of thing? <laughs> when, when I was, uh, I don't know how old I was, but I, I know I was too young to, to understand. I do think it. that's a movie. It's a movie you appreciate a lot more when you're older. I, I don't think it's a movie for kids at all. And I, and it's not in like an adult kind of way. It's just like when you're a kid and you, see a beach ball alien you're just kind of like that's lame i was expecting star wars i was expecting yeah uh you know something more along the lines of that and i had already seen christine and some of john carpenter's other stuff i kind of went into this and i'm like what the hell i don't understand any of this well if you've seen like in my case i saw like escape from new york before i saw dark star so at first like i kind of passed uh, dark star off as like an eh and then appreciated it later so like that makes sense much later uh as i got older i think i saw it again when i was like 30 or something yeah and i'm like oh okay now i get it and i really enjoyed it <laughs> but yeah it's definitely one of carpenter's films that you, a lot of his stuff you can appreciate more in like your teenage years and stuff but uh that's one where i don't think you'll really most people will not fully really appreciate it until they're a little bit older it has a surfer in space <laughs> trying to talk existentialism to a sentient nuclear weapon. I think my, the wittiest part of the movie is what's an almost throwaway line of dialogue. Because they're on this mission that's supposed to take like 18 years or something, you know. Where they're, yeah, they're not, yeah, something and, like that, yeah. And because of a mistake, their entire, supply of, their entire supply of toilet paper got destroyed the first week. And you think, yeah, that could be an issue down the line, couldn't it? Oh, God, absolutely. It's, if anything, if anything, it like kind of builds on the fact that this was kind of the original alien because it's like it's space truckers it's working class people in space dealing with like an alien problem and dealing with like real world issues and stuff and obviously the toilet paper issue which is pretty goddamn brilliant and something that you're only really going to appreciate when you're a little bit older it's it's not a movie that you're going to dig the shit out of when you're a kid because it's a lot of dry adult kind of humor that's the fundamental base that it works on it it does not work if you're a kid if you're a teen or early 20s and, you know, you've seen Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, movies like this, Halloween, and then you watch Dark Star and you're like, what the fuck? What the fuck is this? You don't appreciate it till like way later. You realize like how how great the humor actually is on like a fundamental adult basis. There's also something with this is kind of hard to, to to quantify, but I think you guys will agree with me. I don't mean on a stoner level. It has a very hippie mentality to the movie, oh, doesn't it? it? Does. Mm -hmm. Oh, they were, I'm pretty sure O'Bannon and Carpenter were stoned when they were making this movie. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say it has a hippie mentality to the film? Oh yeah, it, it totally has like a hippie vibe to it. <laughs> but I mean, but they were hippies. 
They were. <laughs> they actually were. Space hippies. And I mean, I'm talking about, you know, Carpenter and, and, and Abandon. Absolutely. Good Lord. They were, I'm sure they were doing a ton of drugs. But then we go on to, a lot of people credit this to Roger Corman, and obviously his fingerprints are all over it, but Paul Bartel directed Death Race 2000. I'm not going to say it's Corman's Frankenstein? best movie. Frankenstein? You want Frankenstein? I'll give you Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Early Stallone. What's funny is, now, because we're going alphabetically here, we haven't gotten to Rollerball yet, but mm. Death Race 2000 was literally made by Corman to come, you know, because, you know, Corman would have this yes. thing to, he would see a big movie that's about to come out and I can get mine out faster. Death Race 2000 was there to cash in on what he saw that Rollerball was going to do. So Death yeah. Race 2000 came out a couple of weeks before Rollerball, but it's a ripoff of Rollerball. So It was so much better than Rollerball. Ball, rollerball too like way better movie like so fun basically a live action ultra violent looney tunes car- cartoon brought to life excellent performances particularly from stallone who is like still a struggling actor at that time Great i just remember stallone stuff. throwing spaghetti at somebody yes he does there's like a, a scene where they're like being talked to by their contractors or agents or something and stallone has like cake all over his face he's just like stuffing his face but he's also like weirdly enough the word of reason in that scene the most intimidating and best lines in that film when he's he's like strangling i think frankenstein's handler or like companion or whatever and he's just like you gotta think about this the rest of your life about a minute and a half and he's got like his hands around her throat and it's like that's some scary fucking shit like that's great it's just it, it really showed the death race 2000 among other things among his other early performances really showed the kind of star that sly was going to be because he is is the he's the best part of that movie like no Machine no no Joe. no david carradine's no, no, the best part of the movie I, I don't care who you think stole it i in my opinion machine gun joe viterbo is the best part of death race 2000 the best part of the movie is the entire movie yes I agree with that. F*** it. Whatever. It, it's weird because it feels like a Corman movie, and then it also, it doesn't feel like a Corman movie. But that's it probably kind of, B- Paul Bartel. I d- it just feels that. like, to me, to me, it feels like just a, a really unique, a unique film. We don't see a lot of movies like that. And it's just like, it's so crazy how it managed to work so well. So the next would be, the, I don't like this film, and I actually consider it possibly one of the goofiest films we're going to discuss tonight, Demon Seed, which was Dean Koontz's first, not his first novel, but his first novel ever made into a movie. Demon Seed is basically a giant supercomputer decides to to impregnate a woman. It's, a, it's about the themes in it are the fear of AI and the fear of unblocked science that, you know, we need to see, almost in a Nazi-ish sort of way, doesn't <laughs> matter how unethical we are as long as we're moving science along i just i don't know i didn't like demon seed just on a personal note that one's just meh to me been a long time so i honestly don't even remember it so i guess that's kind of a testament to the quality of it i i really don't <laughs> on the other hand we go to larry cohen's god told me to love this film it's a great film and it was does this have... uh R- richard lynch was the villain in this one right uh he was uh, he was the jesus alien the thing with god told me to is i'm not sure if it's science fiction there are science fiction elements in the movie absolutely but i'm not it's sure if this is a science fiction, fiction movie it's... 
it's science fiction ish. Like we can say that there's like a science fiction ish element to it for sure. Larry Cohen was inspired to make the movie because he thought he he wanted to make a super violent movie, and he thought, wait a minute, isn't God God in the Bible one of the most violent characters in all of literature? So he decided he would make this kind of chariots of the gods. You can remember all that ancient aliens who he was just kind of starting around this time. Oh, oh yeah, and, and yeah, then for sure. Co- combine that with Christianity, and then you. Have had all of the the you know like tower shootings and you had all these random bits of violence that were happening in the real world so he kind of pushed all these together and the only problem i think the movie has is every 15 minutes it changes genres which makes it really <laughs> weird it's a black exploitation movie then it's an urban crime thriller then it's a sci-fi movie then it's a religious thriller then it's a love story <laughs> it, it, it it's so segmented it doesn't hold together as a film but there's just something could be the just earnestness of God of of Larry of Larry Cohen's direction, or just seeing Andy Kaufman go crazy as a policeman at the St. Patrick's Day parade too. Oh, it's it's really entertaining. Like it's a weird movie for sure. Everything you just described, how it just like keeps changing its genre every couple minutes, but it's really fun to watch. Definitely one of Cohen's weirdest films, but. I do think it's very worth watching. I feel like Richard Lynch's performance is like one of the things to watch out for. Doesn't he have like, oh God, what is it? Like, I'm trying to think of a way to describe it. He's got like a vagina in his stomach. He has like a super vagina, doesn't he? Yeah. Or something, a glowing like super vagina. Like it's weird, weird stuff. But oh God, it's a great movie. It's great in like, great in a way that if you wanted to see, if you haven't ever seen a truly weird film, you need to see God Told Me To. You need to watch it. And probably the weirdest part is that the alien abduction sequence flashback is actually from Jerry Anderson's Space 1999. It's footage from that that they reused. It's like, it's really bizarre. One of the reasons why it works, even though it genre jumps so much, to- so many times, is there's something magical about Larry Cohen's work. His directing, his writing, everything just really comes together. I think a lot of his movies, the stuff and Q and all that, they just wouldn't work coming from somebody else. But his stuff, low budget, um, and this one, I remember he had a lot of problems. I mean, the, the whole Andy Kaufman thing was filmed without permits, and it's just crazy they uh they did a really good job with it uh i just i i love it in in all its weirdness well and then the next movie we're going to talk about now this one this one holds a weird place in history this is the movie that probably more than any other film exemplifies how much star wars changed the genre and that is logan's run this movie is almost a perfect example of pre-Star Wars mainstream sci-fi. Because Logan's run, when you look at it in comparison to Star Wars just a year later, it seems like a Saturday morning kids serial, doesn't it? The effects, the tone, the costumes. The only thing I really truly love about Logan's run, besides Jenny Gutter being cute as hell, is this was back in the days when a PG movie could have full frontal female nudity. Remember that, Cecil? Oh god, yeah. And now Oh, what we all what we all came here to see full frontal nudity <laughs> in a PG movie in a P- well god I think Sheena recently rewatching that and uh, the I'm like the 1984 one the 19 yeah the 1984 you know Sheena with uh, Midge I'm like all right this is an extended naked waterfall <laughs> ba- for for no shower for no reason and I mean <laughs> 
Oh, trust me. There's a reason. Oh, oh, there's a reason. You know, oh, trust uh, me. I'm I'm used to this stuff. I mean, I grew up with Eastern European parents, so it's like I watched Eastern Euro and European and French movies when I was a kid. So I I saw Bush when I was like five or six years old already. So it's mm. like seeing seeing American versions of this and the way they did it was like, wow, that's sleazy. Like I said, you look at Logan's run in through through the lens of this was the last big sci-fi movie before Star Wars changed everything. And it right. seems just so kid-friendly and safe. And it, it well, just it literally seems like a far, Saturday morning live action show, doesn't it? I, I'll say this. I'm not the biggest fan of the movie. I think it's a bit it's a bit hokey. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it a lot, but I do think it's also kind of kind of guilty. Nah, I won't say guilty pleasure, but I do think it's kind of a dumb film. I do think there's a lot of elements to it that are really great. I don't consider it like a sci-fi classic. Like I would consider like I would consider Death Race 2000 to be like a better film than Logan's Run. Aesthetically, technically, like in in all the different writings and editing kind of ways. But I do like Logan's Run, and it does give me the great quote of, Run, runner! I don't think it feels like a kid's movie. I think uh, it does have that older sci-fi look with the costumes and the way that it was shot. But I think that there's something just really cool about it. I like the concept of it. Uh, I do think that it's funny that, uh, you know, what they consider old, considering some of the actors now. It's a cool movie. I'm actually, I'm going to do a video on it at some point this year. I like it. I definitely think that Star Wars, you know, was that was the game changer and it does feel different, especially if you're trying to watch it now as opposed to watching it before Star Wars. But I mean, there's a lot of films like that where the industry changed for for sometimes for better sometimes for worse and uh i like it i think it's cool uh i don't think it's uh kid friendly at all really it does deserve its place in history for sure i think it's a bit silly but i don't think it's a kid's movie at the same time at the same time i don't think it's one of my favorite science fiction movies but i enjoy aspects of it but as i said i would much rather watch death race 2000 well and then the next one which would be mad max i just kind of want to breeze over because there's nothing we can really add that hasn't already been said and we did a full Mad Max retrospective years ago and I'm including even Thunderdome in this it's my least favorite film in the entire franchise yes I get it it's the first but Road Warrior Thunderdome and Fury Road are all well, better Mad movies Max, I think like the, the 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 thing with Mad Max is that that was kind of the start it was a lot more somber I do really like it as a movie. I love that sort of beginning of it. It's kind of like, it's the tapering end, the end of civilization, the beginning of the post-apocalypse. There's like a little bit of law enforcement left. The gangs are taking over the roads and all that stuff. Like, I really like that. I think Mel Gibson gives a great performance in that movie. I think he's really, really good. The scene where his family is run down is heartbreaking. I think it's a heart-wrenching scene when all you see is the one little shoe of his baby and like the little, little, little ball falling down it's like god that's just that's heart-wrenching like that's a really really emotional scene but i honestly do prefer obviously preference wise i prefer road warrior i much prefer fury road but i do think mad max is a quintessential important sci-fi film because it really did help us delve into this post-apocalyptic kind of subgenre. Boy Boy and His Dog helped us originally, initially, because George Miller did admit, he was like, I watched a Boy and His Dog and this was the aesthetic I wanted for Mad Max and for Road Warrior. So obviously he he showed that as his uh, 
as his inspiration, which I think is, is, is just great. But I do think Mad Max is a really great, not so much a science fiction or post-apocalyptic film, which it is, but it's a great vigilante film. I love Mad Max in general. So it's we'll a great character. Next, we go on to maybe not the most obscure, but one of the most obscure ones on here, which would be No Blade of Grass from 1970 from Cornell Wilde. Because mm. this is a weird one. It's an adaptation of Chris, of John Christopher's book, The Death of Grass, which was already ripped off, and I do mean ripped off because he did not get the rights years mm. earlier for the film Panic in the Year Zero. Cornell Wilde was. A very hard liberal. He was, uh, he, today he would be considered an SJW, but he also had a giant ego. He was an actor through the 50s and 60s, and then by the time he got to the late 60s and through the rest of his career, he decided he was going to write, direct, star, produce, edit, and score all of his own movies. And he's shirtless in all of them, and he stars in everyone. Everyone is a political screed against some social ill. This one is about what we didn't even call it then yet, climate change change. I think the narration in the beginning sets it up perfectly. Earth is fighting back against those trying to kill it. And so all plants start dying, which causes <laughs> which causes animals to die, which causes the temperatures to rise, which causes Mad Max-style roving gangs, and everyone kills one another, and they start eating children, and it, it's basically climate change, the movie. I think it's, uh, it is a really interesting, somewhat depressing road movie. And, oh, it's uh, so depressing. There's there's no heroes in this. The, the quote, heroes are bad bastards in any other film yeah well, everybody should be awful. like that's that's kind of that's sort of road road warrior too like max is not a hero in road warrior Oh, it's very depressing, but it's it's good. I mean, I, I like uh, when a movie takes the opportunity to do something where there's really no sunshine. There's no good. It's like everybody is awful. Everybody is dying. Everybody is doing whatever they can to survive. And that's the thing. Like the whole point of it is that there is no blade of grass. It is that there is no vegetation. There's no, you know, thing. Life is dying. It's neat. I remember because the book, uh, The Death of Grass, being darker you know it's been a while since i've read but, that but there was also things in 1970 especially because this was independently produced by cornell wilde there was stuff in the book you he just literally could not do oh yeah absolutely i mean well that's that's the thing with with anything where there's stuff that they couldn't do it's interesting it's depressing and we had when we first had talked about this i was shocked because you would, were going down the list and i'm like that really they put no blade of grass here on the on the uh, criterion channel that's crazy it's it's such an odd pick because I went and looked I'm like does that mean they're going to put it out on Blu-ray and it's like no it's not out on Blu-ray but they at least have cleaned it up for their uh, for the channel because I saw it uh, I saw like a VHS rip of it I mean I, I'm pretty sure it's never even made it to DVD so it does in a way give me hope that maybe they will put it on Blu-ray because I would like to uh, I'd like to look further into it you know a nice restored copy of it well then we go to The Omega Man 1971 I have a love-hate relationship with this movie because I love the novel I Am Legend by Richard Matheson and this movie is a terrible adaptation of that novel but that said 
I really dig the movie in and of itself. It's one of those ones that if you can divorce yourself from it being an adaptation of I Am Legend, you can really dig the Omega Man. And if you can get past zombies with giant afros, because they really, and this was intentional, they really wanted to tap in, and I'm quoting here, to the black power movement of the time. So there's a lot of that. I don't think I don't think that had anything to do with it. They were just getting whatever actors they could. The screenwriter, Joyce H. Corrington, says that specifically. This was cr- well, this, this was created to said. tap into the black power movement of the time. That's why actresses <laughs> like Rosalind Cash have such a large role when they're not even in the novel. So it was kind of SJWE for its time. The 70s were ton full of SJW stuff, man. At least we had Jim Kelly doing Black Belt Jones and going, Booey! Booey! Which made its way which made its way into Black Dynamite, which is fucking awesome. No, if you're gonna go Black Belt Jones, the best part is when she shoots the plates, dishes are done. <laughs> yes. Omega Man, uh, it's it's great. Uh, I like it because it is uh, it's very weird and it does have like the the odd political aspect to it. Then it's funny because they they readapted it with uh, Will Smith for um, what was the name? Of I that am one? legend. The actual name I am of the legend. Book. And that yeah, one also missed the point greatly, too, of the book. Nobody the, the book has been adapted officially three times. None of the them get the damn point opinion. of the book. Yeah, I none of them the, get it. The, the best version is easily the um, Vincent Price one. Last, Last Man on Earth. Man on Earth. I, I really prefer that one over any of them. But I do enjoy Omega Man just for, like, the 70s aesthetic of it. Well, then, sticking with the 70s, we've got Rollerball, the film oh, Roger right. Corman was trying to rip off. Rollerball... That, I will say this. I don't want to say anything about it other than this. I think that movie sucks. I'm not a big fan of it either. I never have. I mean, I get it. The point is supposed to be to show you... You the ugly side of paradise so i understand that i think the movie's over long i i yeah. don't like it i james khan is a great actor he's oh, almost sure. sleepwalking through this role though oh he didn't he didn't care at all like he clearly didn't give a shit yeah he's um, sleepwalking I, I, I through feel the park like this movie this movie was a waste of celluloid like it was a real pointless drivel filled film i really didn't like it at all like i felt i felt like they really didn't put the effort that they should have into it and i personally i thought it was just completely pointless dude oh god i um I picked up what they, is there to love a... about rollerball like James Conn is so bored in it oh no he's <laughs> not he's angry the whole movie yeah he's, he's angry because he's in it no yes. he's not dude Jonathan Jonathan <laughs> dude he's pissed oh it's such a good movie I don't know what you... oh you're nuts oh whatever I just whatever I will enjoy hearing you gush about it whatever doesn't matter to me I mean now if you want to talk about crap you could talk about the rollerball remake where they completely oh that point. was even that that, that was Dude, worse. that was okay, so sure. bad. But this, I will you're... I will absolutely give you that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the original with uh, with the whole thing of of the the corporations that are really turning everybody against each other, and it's all coming down to this it's seemingly nonsensical game. But it all makes sense in and of that universe. And seeing James Khan just really being pissed the whole time, it, I don't know. It, it just it works. I've always been a fan. Well, then the same year that came out. Now this one is probably the weirdest one that I think should not have been on the Criterion Channel's list. It's a great movie, but I don't consider Shivers to be a, uh, a sci-fi film. This is a horror movie. I don't know why this was included with the 70s sci-fi collection. Cronenberg's first feature, he 
he'd done shorts before this. And I think it's a great film. Clearly inspired Night of the Creeps. I think it's got a lot of effective shots. He's actually kind of saying something about assimilation and trying to be normal and what, what is normal. I don't consider Shivers a science fiction movie at all. This one I don't understand why is here. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's more horror than science fiction. I haven't seen it in quite a while. I like it, but it's one of his lesser films, I think. Uh, I'd like to revisit it at some point. The thing I love about Shivers is it has this very independent feel to it. And it technically was, it technically wasn't because it was funded by the Canadian government because that's something that the Canadian government used to do. And the big backlash was how dare the Canadian government fund trash like this. Canadian taxpayers were pissed they paid for a movie like Shivers to be made. I I prefer Rabid. I prefer Cronenberg's other movies, but I do think Shivers deserves its place in that history for sure it's definitely one of his more kind of sleazier lower budgeted more kind of exploitation kind of movies but I do very much enjoy it well then we move on to a film that has unfortunately been lost to its own twist and that is Soylent Green based on the novel Make Room Make Room which is all about overpopulation the the Soylent Green is people twist has obviously completely made it into pop culture people who've literally never seen the movie know Soylent Green is people they know the twist and I think that overshadows the rest of the movie. It's a really good mystery and crime thriller that I think is actually betrayed by how unique its twist was at the time. It's one of those movies that you almost can't watch clean anymore because you will go into it already knowing what the ending is and that's kind of the point. I'm not a big, oh, spoilers ruin a film guy. Soylent Green is somewhat of a slow movie. It's trying to make a point on not just overpopulation, but it's also about the dehumanization of people in in respect to what man will do shows how little value in a governmental type computerized setting human life actually has and i just think it's it's completely screwed over by its by the twist with solid green i think it's a very relevant film i think it shows what can happen if we fall into drastic measures of poverty there's already people making jokes now and equating it to soylent green and to that movie of like like the beyond meat thing like you know the the vegetable meat patties and and all that stuff and it's like how do we know uh, 20 years from now that we're not just using like pieces of homeless people to make like these beyond meat patties or whatever so it's like and they're calling it silent green and being like beyond meat is people and all this stuff so it's like clearly silent green still has a real relevancy to it maybe even with people who haven't seen it that just know about the film and i think silent green in my opinion has a real spot a real genuinely relevant spot in like dystopian future sci-fi films I really love it a lot. I think Soylent Green is is just f***ing great. Without a doubt, the best scene in the movie is where they take these bulldozers and just start bulldozing the crowds of people. Yes! They're, they're literally treating awesome. them as cattle. It's a great, great film. I do think it's, in my opinion, like top 10, one of the best dystopian films ever. Like really, really good stuff and very relevant. Like you, you could see, you could see that kind of a future happening. Again, like I mentioned, Beyond Meat. How do we know that's not meat? That might be homeless people. That might be undesirable people. Trying to delve up an actual conspiracy theory here. That could be a thing. That could end up happening. And it could be very much like a Silent Green kind of thing. And I love that movie. And it's great. I love it. 
I think it's low, but not slow in a bad way. I don't particularly mind it because I think the story is very interesting and you do get invested in it. Parodies of it, the way that it's been goofed on <laughs> so many times over the years, that that does really take a lot out of it. Cecil, are, now, are, are, are you saying that, that jokes like, what does Soylent Green taste like? Eh, varies from person to person. <laughs> right. Well, see, like that at least is subtle. That's but, great. you know, just the, you know, people just shouting, it's people, you know, it, it gets a little old and it's, it, but uh, in general, it is a really unique movie. Now, I, when I was introduced to the film, I was introduced to it by somebody spoiling it with like, oh my God, you won't believe this movie. They're, you know, Soylent Green, have you heard about it? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, they're eating people. And I'm like, what? And then I watched it and I'm like, oh, well, it would have been nice to not know that, but whatever. But I still really enjoyed it. I think it's a great dystopian future movie. I think there's a great, uh, I, I don't know if it's the official, it's one of the the posters for it where they have the dump trucks that are just scooping up people. And yeah, it, it's just crazy. It's really it's good. Awesome. It's so it really good. Is. I actually think probably the best dehumanization moment in the movie is when you find out that like when you get a new apartment, the horror comes with it. You you, you get a girlfriend. She comes with the apartment. She's just, she's so dehumanized. She's a piece of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> well, then we've got The Terminal Man from 1974, which I'm thinking we can breeze over because I asked a lot of people. I might be the only person here who's actually seen the damn movie. I don't think it's very good. Has anyone here even seen Terminal Man? I don't think I have. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Then there is, and we talked about this a little bit last week in the art film episode, THX 1138. There's another film about dehumanization and taking away your personality and trying to fit into society. Great film. Great film. You have to go seek out the Laserdisc, though. All DVD versions are where George Lucas added all that new footage, added the CGI background, the robots being made, scenes and CG, the CG that sticks out like a sore thumb because Uh, George Lucas can't stop screwing with stuff. I think it wrecks the movie. The the version on DVD and Blu-ray, to me, unwatchable. You go and find the widescreen Laserdisc, that is the version of THX. I don't know which version Criterion had, probably the George Lucas version. I think the George Lucas metal version is unwatchable, so I only say THX is worth it in the original 1971 cut of the film. Seen, I've seen the original, and I think it's fantastic. I have not seen the metaled version. All you need to do is watch the trailer for the director's cut, and you'll see all these scenes that stick out like a sore thumb, and you go, Damn it, Lucas! I enjoy them both just because it's um, got some great performances, particularly from Robert Duvall. I really like the movie a lot. Uh, either way, I would... I would watch either one. Sid Haig gets to rape a woman, too, in a George Lucas movie. Well, and then there's 1975's The Ultimate Warrior, and this is the one where Yul Brenner and Max von Sydow protecting tomato seeds, because it, it, sort of like in No Blade of Grass, the earth can't, you know, the you, you can't get food anymore, and Max von Sydow's got this garden, and he hires Yul Brenner to try and defend it. Probably one of the most disturbing scenes in Ultimate Warrior, besides some of the violence, is the fact that they're willing to sacrifice the pregnant woman who is Max von Sydow's daughter to protect tomato seeds because they're the last tomato seeds on earth. That's some dark shit 
right there. Um, I don't think I've seen this one. I, I don't think I have either. Well, then we'll stick with Yul Brenner in Westworld. Really, is there anything we need to say about Westworld? It's a great movie. Michael <laughs> Crichton pioneered. I mean, this is the first use of CGI ever in a film. What happens? <laughs> what happens when AI becomes sentient? And is that yes. a bad thing? Or do they count as people? It's a great movie. I can say Westworld is fantastic. If anybody wants, I guess kind of a lead-in into the type of types of films they might be into and types of films they might want to watch westworld is really really good it's a great movie i really enjoyed a lot then we'll end on zero population growth or zpg which is a strange i think it's danish this is children of men before children of men due to overpopulation well it's a word we've said a lot of times tonight wasn't that Hell Comes to Frogtown in 2019? Well, this is 1972, so... True, true. So there's been a lot of versions of this, and then like well, everybody's like, Oh, ch- Children of Men is so original! No, it isn't. Well, okay, <laughs> in zero population growth, it's not... You can't have kids physically. It's because of overpopulation, you're not allowed to. They actually kill families who have children outside of the government-approved mandates. Right. It, it, it shows, again the ugly side of of paradise because they've made everything so perfect but at what cost people turning into living robots they're being drained of their humanity it shows the banality that perfection brings it zero pop it's a very slow movie it's a it's a movie more that would work better as a novel and i think it might be based on a novel it doesn't work so much as a movie but it's really dark in its themes where they're they're gassing a family who sneaked behind people and had a child and they're gassing all three of them in a crowd of people and the people are cheering on that they're being killed because they broke the law. Cecil, I know you've seen this one. This is a dark movie for as shiny and goofily sci-fi the costumes and the sets are, isn't it? It is very dark. And that's kind of the, the the duality of it is you're looking at it from the perspective of, oh, it's it's shot very bright and almost cheery and it's awful. It's just, it's a really, really dark subject matter. It's taken, like, it gets taken very seriously and I think that kind of adds to it. It makes it feel even darker because of the way that it's presented. And I think one of the strongest aspects is the, that that visual happy look because they've made the world perfect, right? Perfect in quotes. But look how benign and bland and boring this future is. There's no humanity left in humanity. And it kind of asks the question, what's the point then? Because you've lost all individual freedoms. Humans are basically flesh robots at this point. That was kind of the whole point of it. So like I said, Criterion had this great 70s sci-fi month. So Really what, great stuff. A lot of awesome, really fucking great things, for sure. So what do you guys think about their choices? Now, obviously, these are just the films that they had the rights to. Like I said, they probably would have added Phase 4 and other 70s sci-fi films if they had had the rights. But if you're going to introduce somebody to mostly pre-Star Wars sci-fi, I think this is the way you do it. This is yes. an amazing lineup. And I say, even though the month is over now, I think you should go seek out a lot of these films. Because even ones like I even if I didn't like a clockwork orange I think you should see it even if I think the terminal man is kind of dull and bland it's still worth seeing 70s sci-fi really has a place and it it has a feel all of these movies feel so 70s sci-fi and I don't know if that makes any sense 
If if any of them, one I would really suggest would be Death Race 2000 because not only is it a great sci-fi dystopian film, but it's very funny. It's very entertaining. It's a great Corman flick. Any of the films on this list, in general, I would recommend, even the ones I haven't seen. I just think it's a really great list to check out. Some really fantastic pre-what would dominate sci-fi, which is Star Wars films, I think is just so many, so many great films to see. Oh, of the list, only two are post-Star Wars, and that's God Told Me To and Mad Max. So, yeah. and, and neither of them were directly influenced by Star Wars, so that's no, why... not at all. That's why no. I say this is an encapsulation of what sci-fi was like before Star Wars came along. I agree. They they all have a very distinct feel. They 70s movies in general just have a look and a feel. And then, same thing, 80s have a look and feel, 90s have a look and feel. But 70s, it's just, it's very gritty, it's dark, it's depressing. And even their films that are brightly lit you've got your logan's run you've got your your zpgs they look like they would be more kind of happy upbeat but then they're these very dark depressing stories if you really break it down so i think in general for uh criterion to have this selection of movies to put up i think it's great i think that they're they're all pretty much winners in their own different ways and uh, i hope that some of them that haven't been remastered yet i hope they do get a uh, a cleaned up version released i know the majority of them have already had not specifically from criterion but from other different companies but there's a couple of standouts like i said no blade of grass hasn't but hopefully it will i can't speak to this for criterion wanting to do this on purpose but i noticed them doing this in january of 2020 2020 is the go-to for sci-fi that was the always the future i think they did this on purpose as we're gonna usher in the future with the past of the future or i'm reading way too much into it but with criterion can you read too much into that because they're kind of artsy fartsy it's possible I i think you guys should go and check out these movies give me your thoughts on them or whether we were talking out of our asses you can do that where peter you could tell peter where you could tell Peter that he's a scuzz bucket slime ball motherfucker over at uh, Twitter uh, at Cinematica. It's Uncle Blackie Pete. Facebook, the Cinematicist. YouTube, the Cinematicist. And of course, Patreon at Cinematica, where I hope you give me your money, but you can also bitch at me. And of course, TwelveOnBeyond.com. And Cecil probably would be the most laid back of us if you bitch at him, but where could people do that? Good Bad Flicks on YouTube. You can also also find me at Good Bad Flicks on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And soon I am going to have an updated version of the goodbadflicks.com website. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Check out some of these movies. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
trouble Came a voice from the sky on that magical night And in the colors of a thousand sunsets They traveled to the world on a silvery night Of the earth stood waiting, watching as the ships came one by one. Setting fire to the sky as they landed, carrying to the world children of the sun. Children of the sun. All at once came a sound from inside Then a beam made of light hit the ground Everyone felt the sound of their heartbeat Every man, every woman, every child They passed the limits of imagination Through the door to the world of another time And on the journey of a thousand lifetimes With the children of the sun They started to climb
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.